ahead and take your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of EAA's The Green Dot, a podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts. I'm the museum program's representative, Chris Henry. Across from me uh, is one of my uh, co-hosts and uh, friends and, and staff members here, Connor. Yep, I'm Connor Madison. I'm the staff photographer here. Well, and thanks for coming on and uh, being a Rio today, if you will. So um, Absolutely. I, I got to say Rio because we're talking Navy stuff today, even though uh, the gentleman we're going to talk to here apparently is Air Force working with the Navy stuff. So it'll be interesting. Uh, but today we're, we're going to have uh, Eric on with us, who is uh, he works. He's on staff at the USS Intrepid Air and Space Museum in New York. Uh, Eric, thank you for coming on today. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I look forward to uh, chatting about airplanes with you guys. Well, this will be fantastic. Uh, I I visited your museum. Connor's been uh, down there too. Uh, um, you know, tell us a little bit about. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, like you said, I was Air Force. I enlisted at a very young age, right out of high school, before I was uh, before my 18th birthday. Actually, so I, I gave him a little more than 20 years. Uh, in the meantime, I was able to uh, uh, seek out educational opportunities that the air force was, was, uh, offering me. I wanted to be an engineer, but couldn't do the math. So I have a history degree, <laughs> but, uh, what is a, what does an airplane mechanic with a history degree do when he wants to live back home, uh, just outside of New York city. And, and the intrepid was kind of my only option. I've been there, um, coming up on my 18th anniversary, uh, this April. I can't believe how time has flown by. Uh, 18 years at Intrepid is just, uh, it's been an amazing ride. Uh, the things we've done in the past 18 years, uh, the additions in airplanes and a space shuttle and um, just the way we do things uh, was able to be at the right at the leading edge of all that stuff uh, and, and change the way we do things. So I've had a lot, a lot of fun. I'm coming up on possibly my retirement. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes I don't like to talk about that. Do I really want to retire? Nah, I don't know yet. But then again, I'm, I'm built for a life of leisure and I'm kind of ready for that. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Well, awesome. Well, well, let's start in on, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things that Connor and I were talking about prior to this is what are some of the challenges of working and, and having your air museum on an aircraft carrier. I mean, that in itself has to add some complexity to the job. Yeah. I got to tell you, when I interviewed for this job, uh, back in 05, I almost didn't take it. Um, you know, the, there's, uh, the bulk of the collection is outdoors, of course, up on the flight deck and it's New York city. We're on the Hudson river. It is salt water. Uh, it is exposed to wind. Uh, the stuff that falls out of the sky when it rains, who knows what's in that. All I know is that if on a really quiet evening, if you're out on the flight deck, you can actually hear the airplanes decaying away. And it's just uh, the challenges of, of the environment. That has been the biggest thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I took the challenge and uh, a lot of things had to be done differently. Um, uh it's, it's a collection. It's a very eclectic collection. If you've been there, you'll know we have an A-12 on one side of the flight deck, a space shuttle on the other side, and uh, lots of Navy planes, uh, an Air Force thing, a, a Coast Guard helicopter. It's just a, a, even some foreign stuff. So it's a very eclectic collection. That's uh, the other challenge that I, I had with the collection was kind of getting rid of stuff that I could not interpret uh, very well. Uh, things that maybe uh, weren't as popular with the visitors, 
to make room for things that could be interpreted in the intrepid story. So, uh, gotten rid of a few airplanes and gotten some new ones in and still working on some others. Um, so just part of the fun job. I think, uh, I, one of the questions I always like to ask people, uh, is, is there a favorite among the collection for you? Is there a soft spot that you have somewhere for one of the aircraft you have? Yeah, no, that's pretty tough. And I got in trouble with my kids. Cause I, uh, one time somebody asked me that, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, f- f- oh boy. It was, it was a television show. And I said, oh, it's easier for me to tell you which one of my kids are my favorite, which is <laughs> <laughs> I paid dearly for that. Uh, I have two sons and a daughter who were grown. You know, these are uh, these are now almost 40 year old people now. And <laughs> but they were like, what? <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I do have a soft spot for one thing. And I'm kind of looking at a model of it right now uh, down here. I'm, I'm, I'm in an undisclosed location in New Jersey, uh, my bunker, otherwise known as the basement uh, where I build model airplanes. Um, but that, that would be the Avenger. Uh, we have a TBM Avenger. And the reason that is a soft spot for me is because I grew up knowing about this airplane because my dad during World War II was an Avenger ball turret gunner. And he had 19 missions over Japan. Uh, and he was nothing more than a teenager himself when he did that. But uh, it was always a very important part of my life. And, and in 2005, when I took this job, my dad passed away two months later. And I remember the last conversation we had, he goes, you got an Avenger on that museum boat? And I'm like, uh, I do, Dad. And uh, he was on a sister ship, the Shangri-La. Um, and we, we do have a, an Avenger. Uh, of course, like many Avengers, this one went through uh, a change in life after the war, became a fire bomber. Uh, of course, turrets, one of the first thing that gets removed and tossed away and, you know, big hopper tanks put into the belly. And, but this airplane, um, it looks like a world war II Avenger, but it doesn't have, it did not have a, a, a turret installed. And so one of the first things I did is I started collecting parts for the ball turret for an Avenger. And, uh, it, it took several years. Uh, there's some turret experts out there. There's a, I don't think he'd mind me mentioning his name. Uh, if you got a warbird, you know, Harlan of uh, Harlan up there in Massachusetts is a turret expert. And, uh, for any airplane, any world war two air airplane with a turret, Harlan can get you the parts and put it together for you. And so he helped me immensely. Um, and uh, I just could not put the turret in the airplane. The airplane is on loan from the U.S. Navy, and I'm not going to give them my turret. <laughs> so the turret uh, occupies a place on the floor next to the airplane so that people can actually see this remarkable piece of machinery at the time. Uh, and it's just uh, that, that you know, to answer your question, short answer is, yeah, the Avenger. But every one of these airplanes has a story. Uh, that's the one that I can bring my dad in on. But uh all these airplanes have stories and they're all amazing. And, uh, over the years I've collected these stories. Everyone's got a, a human story. Some will make you cry. Some will make you laugh, but, uh, I'm going to stick with the Avenger as number one. Boy, that, uh, I know the Avenger, uh, that you have on deck there uh, or on the, uh, in the hangar bay, it, it, some of it, uh, signage and some of the markings honor George Bush. That was a story that always, uh, amazed me at how young of a of a kid really he was flying these things uh off a carrier yeah hey man no slight to george bush at all you know and uh, when i arrived there it was uh marked up uh as the the bush airplane that uh he had to ride down in but uh uh what i've done over the years and it's been a number of years ago uh in order to interpret it in the intrepid story the markings have been reverted 
you know, to a, an intrepid air group from World War II. So that's cool. Uh, it's, it's not wearing those markings, but that's that's only you know, uh, like I said, no slight to to George Bush because, uh, uh, well, yeah, you're right. What an amazing story. Just a young kid and uh, lost his crew on that too. So that had an yeah. impact him emotionally too. Wow, that's cool. But you know that I, I, I'm a model builder. At Connor's a model builder as well. Um, and, uh, to me, I, I love your, your, your comment on details because, uh, you know, markings are such a huge deal when you're trying to tell a story and, and make it tie into a certain either, uh, exhibit display, or in your case, the entire museum collection. Um, you know, that's a huge deal to a lot of people. It's like, oh, it's just a blue Avenger, but those, those change of markings are significant. Right. And I can, I, boy, I got so many stories about the markings. I got an A4 Skyhawk. And when I, uh, when I arrived in 05, it was marked in, I want to say, uh, I think it was VA 72 and, uh, it, you know, but one of the first things I did, which my predecessors, uh, never really got around to was looking at the history of all these airplanes. I want to see what I had. And so, uh, doing a lot of research on all the airframes based on bureau number or serial numbers. And, uh, this particular A4 Skyhawk that I have, and it's in the hangar bay there, um, out of the elements, uh, it, it never served in that squadron. And I actually, uh, through research, I found out that it was with VA-95. Uh, but VA-95 happened to go to uh, the Vietnam area in 1966 on the first day. Intrepid went to Vietnam three times uh, between 66 and 69 and on the first cruise, uh, VA-95 uh, was one of the attack squadrons on board, and this airplane was there, which essentially, at the time, it was the only airplane in the collection that I had. Uh, you know, we have many airplanes of the type that that flew from Intrepid, but it was the only airplane in the collection that really was on Intrepid uh, during its active mission. And so I had to restore it back to VA-95 markings. I and with that, I uh, went on a, uh, a quest to find as many as the surviving uh, members of that squadron that were on that cruise that I could. Found like 14 of them. Uh, had, had, had grown men come to visit Intrepid, look at this airplane as it's repainted in VA-95. It was a big green lizard painted down the, the side of the fuselage. Uh, but big big grown men come in and, and, and reduced to tears, uh, which is just makes your job so much better when you uh, you're able to do that for these guys. But um, since then I've, I've, I've got another airplane. Uh, it's a uh, F4D Skyray. It was up at the Connecticut uh, museum up there at um, uh, the new England air and space museum. Those folks took really wonderful care of it. But uh, once again, museums have to f focus their collections on things you can, you can uh, interpret into your mission. And, and this was kind of extra for them. And I, I was up there. I said, what are you doing with that F4D? And, oh, uh, well, you want it? And I'm like, well, we'd love to have one of those. We had those on Intrepid in the early 60s. I go back home to New York City, and I'm going through the collection in our archives, which is all digital now, of photographs. And I find a photograph of an F4D. There's a pilot in the cockpit. There's a plane captain climbing up on a ladder on the side. And the F4D, as you know, is a, a flying wing, essentially. And uh, it, so it's tail number is not on the tail uh it's underneath the uh u.s star and bar just below the fuselage or the the cockpit and so i'm looking at that bureau number in this photograph from 1960 and then i look at the uh, photographs i took of the f4d up in connecticut and it's the same airplane wow. and so i went on a quest this is uh, about two years ago i went on a quest to uh 
yeah, uh, you you want to find a new home for that airplane. And they were they were really great to work with those folks up in Connecticut. And they said, yeah, you want it, you got it. And um, it was a heck of a thing to move. Uh, Douglas airplanes, as a rule, kind of don't come apart very easy. So uh, we actually uh, took it by barge. We took it over the road at three o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, uh, about, I think it was several miles down to downtown Hartford, um, down along the Connecticut River, used a crane to put it on a barge, barged it down the Connecticut River, out into uh, Long Island Sound, and then uh, down the East River, and then up the Hudson River, and then craned it onto Intrepid. It has since been completely repainted. We do a lot of uh, corrosion mitigation and preservation work internally, and it's been repainted and has been rolled out and is now on display just as it looked in the photograph in from 1961. So real proud of that one. So that's only the second airplane that we have that is uh, really flew from Intrepid. That's super cool. I, I'm a huge fan of reuniting, uh, you know, artifacts or aircraft with the people and places and bases and things like that. So uh, I'm kind of eating that up. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing, too, to think, you know, to have aircraft right in the environment they flew from. I mean, especially an aircraft carrier. I mean, you don't you don't see that at all, hardly. I mean, that's a, that's a truly amazing thing to see, I would think. Yeah, it's like welcome home. Um, it was, uh, it, it's kind of emotional. The, the problem was uh, that I just could not find any pilots from that era. Uh, you know, 1961 is a long time ago. And so you're talking about these 20, 30 year old guys from 60 plus years ago. Uh, they're just not around to be found. It's been tough. The Vietnam era guys are hard enough to find. Yeah, I was talking to someone because we have a, we have a Huey in our collection and you know, we're we're working on having a reunion here next year with the with a lot of the uh, the guys from our our particular aircraft and unit, and yeah, the, I mean the the number of the Vietnam guys is kind of dwindling in some areas, and uh, it's getting harder and harder to to get them. Yeah, we have a very robust uh, oral history program uh, at Intrepid. We're all trained. We're all trained by Columbia University uh, in interview techniques and tactics, and um, we upped our game with uh, the proper equipment, cameras and things. And we have a studio built in uh, right on ship and we bring the guys out and, and where do you, where do you start? Right. It's uh, the ship had in its entire history, we estimate about 50,000 different men served on that ship. I say men because it's, uh, you know, it predates women uh, going uh, to sea and on, on the big ships. But uh we, we went very uh, actively looking for the World War II guys first because we knew those would probably be the first to to leave us. Uh, got quite a few in, in the uh, archive now, Vietnam guys. I, I've been privileged enough to interview World War II pilots. Uh, I've actually traveled as far away as Oregon and bring a camera along and, uh, and recording devices and, and interview these folks. Uh, and also... Uh, two Vietnam POWs that flew from Intrepid. So also astronauts, we got a space shuttle now. So we, we zeroed in on some astronauts to interview. So it's, I, you know, I love, I love airplanes. I love looking at these things, but it's a thing. There's takes a, takes a human being to climb inside and make it do its thing. Right. So uh, the human stories have to be a part of this. So I have to ask, what do you think? Uh, and I think I may know the answer. Uh, uh, Connor and I talked about that, but uh what has been the biggest challenge uh, to get to, to your museum uh, since you started? 
The biggest challenge at our museum is money, yeah. uh, like every museum. And you guys have a museum there, and I'm sure you're aware of where your limitations are. Uh, you know, we have special challenge. We have 27 airplanes in the collection, so it's kind of it's wealth focused. It's a better focus now than it was when we started, but um, uh, it's it's always money, and the job isn't done. Uh, you know, we we bring an airplane in, and like I said, we do a repaint. We take care of corrosion issues. Sometimes you have to rebuild whole skins and things like that, and and then we do a lot of preservation uh, with uh, different chemicals interior. But uh, five, six years down the road, you got to do that airplane again. Um, you know, like my F.A. Crusader, I have an F.A. Crusader, and uh, that's been painted three times, and it kind of needs it again in my time there. So uh, everything we have has at least been painted once. Most have been painted twice, and uh, some have been painted three times. And it's, it's just an ongoing thing. Job security, right, for my restoration <laughs> team. I have a very small restoration team. Um, it it, uh, before the pandemic, I had three full-time staff. I got down to one during the pandemic, and then uh, we've got it back up to two. And as things improve, uh, you know, with uh, the financial things, you know, that, that that opening is still there. You know, I'll get to get that third person back. But we rely heavily on volunteers. And, um, you know, and I actually started hands-on in the restoration shop when I started in 05. I had to turn that over, you know, when I moved up into an office and just could not get away from my other responsibilities of creating exhibits and things and, uh, to, to work in the shop. But I have a very capable, uh, head of, head of restoration up there now, uh, Peter Taraka, who is a, uh, he's an airplane owner. Uh, he's, he's got a, he's got a 1950 something Cessna 180, maybe I forget. It's an older, it's, it's polished aluminum. And I think he is probably worn down a thickness of skin here and there polishing that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Peter hears that. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful airplane, all aluminum, just all polished with, with a nice little green pinstripe. He's just, uh, he loves that airplane. Oh, that's awesome. It's great to hear uh, of people that, that, you know, work their nine to five uh, or, or a lot of their passion, you know, restoring these historical old aircraft, but also have sort of their own projects or their own uh, uh, aircraft that they fly as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, talking about challenges, I have to imagine probably one of the bigger ones you guys have, have faced in terms of your collection is actually getting the space shuttle to you guys. So if you want to tell us that story. Oh, boy, you know, and uh, <laughs> I didn't think we had a shot, to tell you the truth. You know, and I was, we were talking about this and the fleet's getting retired and boy, we sure like to have one. And I'm like, you're not going to get a space shuttle. I really did not think we would get a space shuttle at all. And, and I was thinking to myself and I was kind of like making bets. Now, obviously I, I, I knew discovery would go to Udvar Hazi, most flown, um, the oldest of the fleet over surviving, uh, oldest of the fleet, uh, essentially they already had, uh, enterprise, uh, you know, and I just didn't, I, I knew that, but it didn't come under my equation. I was thinking, all right, they're going to keep one in Florida. Where would they send the others? And I was thinking one's got to go West coast or maybe it'll go to right Pat, you know? And it's, so it was a lot of, I, I was trying to, think, I just didn't think we were going to get one. And then I remembered, what are they going to do with enterprise when discovery moves in? They're not going to keep both of them or will they? And uh, as it turns out, you know, Enterprise was moved out. And there's a very famous photograph of Discovery coming in on the uh, SCA. They unload it. And Enterprise meets Discovery nose to nose on the ramp there at Dulles uh, as they did a switcheroo and then put Enterprise onto the SCA to bring to New York. 
Um, it was a heck of a challenge. We, we, um, as a staff, we were all behind it. Uh, there was a, a couple of things we did to get the, the crowd, uh, the, you know, we do this crowdsource stuff, but to get our visitors kind of wrapped up in it and, and it, it, what it came down to though, to tell you the truth was general Bolden, who at the time was running NASA. Uh, I think he was the final word, uh, if not the final word, one of the, one of the consequential, you know, decision makers on where these things were going to go. And, um, he told me this, uh, I, I, I'm assuming it's true. He's a Marine Corps general. They don't lie. He said to me, uh, yeah, we, we, I went to visit museums. I didn't tell you I was coming. So he just showed up on a weekend at Intrepid. Nobody knew who he was. He bought a ticket, walked around, interacted with staff to see what kind of staff we had. Everything from where's the restroom to where can I get a good burger in this town? You know, it's um, and he, you know, looking at uh, how clean our restrooms were, how we do exhibits or how we write copy on labels. I guess he looked at it all and just thought we would be a good home for enterprise. And so uh, quite proud of that. Um, but it is, it is, it's a handful and it's a, it's a, it's a big budget item, but boy, we're sure proud to have it. But the, so that you're looking at the only space shuttle in the Northeast corridor, you know, of course there's uh, the shuttle down there at Dulles or at, yeah, at Dulles at Udvar-Hazy, but uh, which is a good train ride from here. But uh, so just glad to have it. Uh, it brings in a lot of visitors, especially Europeans. Europeans love to come see that. So, uh, yeah. That's fantastic. That uh, th that has to be up there with, uh, as far as difficulty, um, you know, uh, with the, I would argue, the, the Concorde. Yeah. Uh, both of them came uh, kind of the same way, too. They landed at JFK. They got unloaded and then uh, craned onto a barge. And then you barge from uh, JFK all the way around the tip of Manhattan and up. And then uh, a very large ocean-going crane. This thing's just a, a monster. It's the largest crane on the East Coast, I think. Wow. Um, plucks it off the barge and, and puts it on the deck. So... Uh, yeah, that whole that whole episode of of getting the shuttle and then actually have it happen was just surreal, absolutely. And then we weren't open uh, a couple of weeks, I think, and Hurricane Sandy hit New York City, oh. and uh, just knocked out power on the whole east side or west side of Manhattan. It was just a uh, terrible, terrible timing. But it sure was fun to meet all these. Uh, shuttle astronauts. And then, uh, shortly after that, uh, Mike Massimino shuttle astronaut, Mike Massimino, you might remember the name. He's, um, uh, he flew two missions. Uh, both of them are, were Hubble repair missions and a really great guy. He's a local New York guy. And, uh, he retired from NASA and took a job in the city, uh, at Columbia university as a professor. So we have Mike Massimino living down the street from us. So, uh, we essentially not, not on staff, but he's on a real short leash, a short leash with us. And, uh, he comes out all the time and Mike is just a great guy and he's got great stories and, uh, to have a shuttle astronaut, it kind of in your back pocket is kind of cool. And then he knows a lot of other shuttle, shuttle astronauts and has made introductions. And so now I have this whole, uh, Rolodex of space shuttle astronauts that I call friends. That's awesome. Isn't, uh, isn't Mike the, also the astronaut that was on like Big Bang Theory? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He went on the space mission with those guys. It's kind of fun because uh, <laughs> I've actually been with them when 
visitors will recognize him not as astronaut Mike Massimino, but as the actor Mike Massimino. And <laughs> he was really playing himself. He really was an astronaut. And they're like, no way. You know, it's, it's, it's a laugh and a half. Uh, it really is uh, to be recognized by people for, uh, for your cameo work and not for your actual work. <laughs> That's fantastic. Mike takes it all with grace and dignity. He's just, but he's the one of the funniest guys you've ever met. And I just, uh, my old questions to him were, how did you turn that off when you had to like put a spacesuit on and go out? <laughs> and fix all, you know, but he, he can do that. You know, he's, he, he, he's just a super smart guy and he knows when to be funny and when to be serious. Wow. Now, so, um, and I guess I, th- this might not even be your department, if you will, but uh, do you also have to work on systems on the ship as well, or is that like a whole nother crew? Yeah, well, that's another crew, but there's no systems on the ship, uh, original systems that work. So the uh, we do run some power through the original electric lines because they're already run. There's just miles and miles and miles of copper wire built into that ship. It all had to be inspected and checked before you could use it. But most of the systems in the ship – uh, heating and air conditioning is done, uh, now with a, a very modern, uh, natural gas fired system. We call it the cogeneration plant. Uh, it's on the ship. It's very compact. It fits in one space. Um, it actually, when making air conditioning and heating, uh, it has a byproduct of extra electricity. So the whole thing has been, it runs, like I said, it runs on natural gas, but, uh, it's byproduct actually helps power. Uh, for a reduced cost in our electric bill. It's just an amazing system. Uh, also, we're the city of New York essentially considers us a building. So wherever our visitors go, wherever we have offices, you have to have sprinkler system, just like a building. So of course, you know, that all had to be built into the ship. So um, yeah, there, there's no original systems on the ship. Uh, people are always asking, can I go see the engine room? And we really don't let people down there. What we did, uh, we've done a 3D scanning uh, project in almost all the compartments of the ship. And there's going to be a future exhibit that kind of shows what these compartments look like using, uh, you know, this virtual reality uh, kind of 3D scanning. It's just hazardous down. We don't, you know, when, when our staff needs to go down into the engine room, they wear full face respirators and it's just the fuel oil smell down here is very strong and it's just best uh to keep that closed that'll never really and it's really not accessible um once again we're a building so ada compliant you know there's uh an elevator has been added in the ship uh we're completely all the visitor areas are accessible uh by wheelchair um so uh we you just can't get down there um yeah, right now there's a there's another new project where the sick bay area is going to be made accessible. Uh, we've done an exhibit about sick bay uh, in a different spot because right now it is not accessible. So we had to bring like sick bay up to the hangar deck uh, into one of the gallery spaces to show it off. But uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really neat. So you know, in addition to your collection, as I understand, you guys have a number of STEM programs that you put on. Oh my God. Uh, the education program at Intrepid, uh, I can't brag enough about these folks, mostly, uh, young kids. Yeah. I'm, I'm in my sixties, you know, and everybody's a kid now, but, uh, the young folks, these educators, wow. I'm just blown away watching them do their programming. And we do a lot of, uh, 
access programming as well, uh, before and after hours for autistic people, um, veterans, disabled folks. I, I, I can go on and on and on. Our website would explain it a lot better. But the education programs at Intrepid are amazing. It's one of the largest departments on the ship, too. I should add that. The, the cadre of, of, of educators. Uh, like I said, I got, I got two people up in my hangar and a bunch of volunteers fixing the airplanes. But the education department is many, many times larger than that, as it needs to be. Because we are uh, we're actually certified by the city of New York for, for programming. Uh, so uh, disadvantaged kids in New York City school system they either come to us or we go to them. Uh, we work with Niger, the New York City uh, the housing office, uh, where disadvantaged children are, are, you know, don't have an opportunity to come visit a museum. Uh, you know, we bring it to them. Uh, but I'll, like I said, I I could go on and on about them for hours. I can't say enough about our education department. It's got to be second to none. It's just an amazing group of folks, well run and well staffed. And uh, a lot of the staff has been there a while, too. I mean, it's not like uh, there's no great turnover in it because the job is just so interesting and so fulfilling. So uh, a, lot, a lot's going on. Uh, I just have to direct folks to our, our, our website, uh, intrepidmuseum.org, uh, and, and look in the education department tabs and just see how deep and complex this, this is. It's just an amazing thing. That's awesome to hear. I mean, I think that's something, you know, all of aviation faces is that, you know, it's an, it's an aging crowd that's into it. And so just continuing to inspire the the new generation is, is probably one of the biggest challenges there is. It, it absolutely is. And, and, uh, you know, the kids are the future. And if you're just going to stick airplanes in a hangar and, and hope they appreciate what, what they were used for and, and the folks that used them, it just doesn't work for, for me. That's for sure. But to have have it brought to the kids and to show them how, how meaningful it all is, and just using that airplane as more or less the uh, the visual aid uh, to get into the story, it's incredible. I had a chance to spend some time on the ship uh, as part of mutual concerns a few years ago. With mutual. Oh yeah, that was uh, uh, man. Yeah, that was my uh, myself and Josh Stop. Josh is the uh, curator out at the Cradle of Aviation in uh, Garden City, New York, out on Long Island, and yeah. We were at a mutual concerns. I think it was the one in Seattle. And uh, Josh comes up and he goes, we got to do this in New York. I said, nobody's going to come to New York. It's too expensive. Go, well, let's share it. You know, we'll do, <laughs> we'll do a day at Intrepid and we'll do a day out at uh, the Cradle of Aviation. And to save money, we're going to put everybody in a hotel in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do a day of sessions in New Jersey, a day of sessions on Intrepid, and a day of sessions out at Cradle. Uh, you were there. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, God, I loved it. It was it was amazing. I mean, there was one session where we're all uh, – our session was on one of the elevators of the ship. I mean, it yeah. was just <laughs> so cool. Uh, and I, I think that's something to be said for anybody who – if the Intrepid's on your list of museums to go see – uh, go do it. And if it's not on your list, put it on the list because just the entire time you're there, you're just surrounded and immersed in the entire, uh, 
I mean, you're surrounded by history the entire time you're there. I mean, you're you're when you're walking the hallways, you're literally walking the hallways of a ship that was you know in World War II and Vietnam. And, um, and later that evening, you can have an amazing meal at a great restaurant and go to a Broadway show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was. It, it, it's it's got to be the only museum on the planet that you're, you're you're sort of walking the flight deck, but you're looking at downtown New York, you know, New York City. I mean, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I used to uh, when I started at Intrepid, I was single, and I used to bring. Uh, dates after hours up onto the flight deck because it's just so darn gorgeous the lights of the yeah. city and it's so and you don't hear the street noise when you're up there uh, and so you got this uh beautiful panoramic view of the skyscrapers and the hudson river it's just really beautiful and um don't tell my wife but actually uh, one of our first date i brought her there too so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's just uh i i sometimes have to pinch myself to realize that where I am. That's fantastic. How do you, uh, we mentioned Concord uh, earlier. Um, what What's the background on the one that you guys have? Uh, wow. Concord. That's my big white elephant right now. It's uh, it came to the ship uh, to the museum in 2003 when they retired the fleet and uh, they were looking for homes uh, for a lot of the, the, the Concord fleet, the British airwave uh, Concord fleet. One went to Seattle we have one, and there's another one in Barbados. The rest are uh, stayed in in the UK. Uh, I know Air France, uh, the one in Uvarhazi is an Air France airplane, and I'm not too sure. I think the one in Schiersheim in Germany is, is Air France as well. But um, uh, that was a couple of years before I arrived, and I would have been afraid to take this, and I'm still afraid to have this because it's a very large airplane. It takes a lot of maintenance. It takes a lot of treasure to keep it pretty. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of fundraising. It needs to be repainted. Uh, we have to do some peer work um, this summer, and it's sort of in the way. So we're going to be – we've done this once before. We had our peer rebuilt in between 06 and 08. Uh, we were actually closed. The museum was closed for two years, and we brought Concord over to Brooklyn, over at the old Floyd Bennett Field, and it sat there for two years. Uh, we're going to have to take it away again in order to do this other repair work that has to be done on our pier. And while it's away, we're going to put it in Brooklyn uh, at a marine yard. Uh, I think we're going to try to paint it there. Uh, I have a painting company all lined up. Um, just need to kind of close the gap on the funding, but uh, hopefully we can get a fresh coat of paint on it because it really needs to be painted. We do the best we can. It's had a lot of touch up. It's had a lot of corrosion inhibitors sprayed inside, but you know, it's hanging, it's right on the pier. It's hanging out over the Hudson river and it's just, uh, not the ideal place for it. Um, we really don't get any, uh, financial aid from British airways. They just could not, they, they couldn't afford the, to do that anyway with their, their whole fleet. But, um, yeah, we, we really got to get Concord, uh, pay some attention to Concord this year. And then, uh, next year it should be next by next summer. It should be looking pretty and the way it was in, three when it showed up but to, to answer your question this is an important concord for new york city because this is the airplane that has the record flight that stands today for a commercial airliner new york to london oh how cool and uh the pilot the commander of the <laughs> the command pilot of that flight married an american woman and he lives part-time in new york city oh that's incredible that's yeah awesome. uh, that's leslie scott uh and i know leslie scott he spends uh Part of the year, I think uh, these cold months in New York City, I'm, I think he's in France. 
Uh, and then he comes to New York in the summer times. But uh, Leslie Scott, have once again, I talked about Mike Messamino in our back pocket. Here's Leslie Scott, uh, a Concord pilot within walking distance of the Intrepid is where his apartment is. And, and he is so gracious whenever we want to do a program, program, if he's in town, give him a call and he's there. And we've done a lot of live stream programming with him, a lot of educational programs. We brought out gangs of kids for him to talk to. He is just such an amazing gentleman. Uh, he does it all. He does it all. And once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll send them a, a gift of chocolate covered strawberries or something, but uh, he, he does it for nothing. And, uh, he just loves talking about that airplane and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we got to get some paint on it. And oh. so it'll last another 20 years. Oh, that's fantastic. That is just so cool. I, I, that was one of the first concords I think I saw. I think the first one I saw was here at Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, I think that was probably the second. So, uh, it always stands out for me. Um, and then of course, uh, I've got to ask you, have you seen, uh, uh, I guess an upturn in interest in the Tomcat since the new uh, Top Gun uh, came out? Uh, briefly, uh, right when the movie came out, uh, we did a live stream program with an F-14 pilot and astronaut, is a Scooter Altman, who was uh, actually, he flew at Massimino twice on Hubble repair missions. Scooter was, uh, he was actually, if you, the original Top Gun movie, Scooter did the F-14 flying in the movie. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So when he, he, he has great stories, there's that scene where Tom Cruise is on the motorcycle running along the taxiway there and the F-14's landing, right? And uh, that's Scooter in the airplane. So Scooter knows all about movie making. Uh, he became friends with Tom Cruise. He invited Tom actually down to NAB. But after, after his Navy career, he applied to be an astronaut, uh, uh, made it. And when he was in astronaut training, he invited Tom Cruise to come down and uh, and take a tour of, of Johnson Space Center. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's nothing but really kind of things to say about Tom Cruise. Um, but when the second movie came out and then the pandemic hit, the movie was supposed to be released. The whole thing was delayed because of the pandemic. And we were hoping to have the opening uh, party. And, you know, there was all this stuff we wanted to do. And... Um, yeah, the F-14 is still popular, you know, but almost every single museum I've ever been to, Aviation Museum, has an F-14. They're everywhere. And uh, so as far as increased interest, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can safely say that, but there's always interest. And it's amazing how many of the young kids know that airplane. And uh, several years ago, I was, I was looking for a a name 54, you know, I needed that missile. I, 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 it's, it's got a sparrow and a sidewinder mounted to it, but I, I needed a name 54. And, um, uh, here in New Jersey where I live is an ar armory, um, that handles those things. And I said, and they're not using them and they had them in storage. And, uh, of course the warheads are removed and, but they still have that solid fuel propulsion system in there. And so they had to burn out the engine and I said, look, I don't want this on loan. I don't want any paperwork involved with this. I essentially want a garbage picket. So if you want to put it in a dumpster some night, I'll come and pick it up. But, I, but they were very <laughs> kind. They were very kind and they understood. And it, to them, it was it was scrap anyway. But they uh, assembled it and painted it. It's beautiful. And I have it on a a, a little missile trailer parked underneath the, uh, the F-14. So I do have a full complement of all its air-to-air -air capabilities on display with it. That's awesome to have. I should add that that F-14 that I have uh, is number seven. Wow. The prototypes. So uh, I think number one was 
crash. Uh, Josh stuff out at the cradle. He has one that's older. I think he has number two or three. I, he would know better, of course, but uh, yeah, this is one of the only, it's still in Grumman test livery, which was all white with uh, blue and red stripes. So it's not in, in fleet markings. It never served. This airplane never served in the fleet. And I talked to Grumman engineers over the years who worked on it. And they said, essentially that first batch of prototypes of, uh, of the F-14s were, were hand built. None of them were you, you can't share too many parts. And uh, our airplane was actually the test bed for uh, the upgraded uh, GE engine. Um, so it was modified to a, you know, a D plus, or I guess they called it. Um, so the airplane is heavily modified. Uh, once that's another one, I got to get some uh, repaint on it's, it's, it's do a paint job too. That's awesome. Your, your A6 intruder is another test bed, isn't it? Absolutely. Good, good, good point. It's also in that Grumman test livery, uh, with the, uh, all white with the blue and red, uh, uh, striping. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. So what else, you know, for looking to the future, what are there other aircraft out there or other artifacts that you're looking to add to the collection? Oh yeah. Constantly. Um, uh, you know, we're missing some things. I'm missing a lot of world, you know, the only world war II airplane I have is the Avenger. I, I, I need a Corsair. I got another Corsair story for you. That's going to really, I, I can't get too deep into it because it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of new, but I need a Corsair. I would love to have a hell diver. You know how many hell divers there are in the world? Not too many. Oh man. Not yeah. too many. There's only, there's only like four that are in one piece. Uh, of course they have one at the Smithsonian. The commemorative air force has one. There's one in Greece and there's one in Thailand. Now there's a couple others out there floating around. In fact, I went to look at one out at Wright Pat uh, a couple of years ago, but it wasn't an SB2C. It was actually an A25 or A24 or whatever, whatever the Army Air Corps designation was for it. And I forget how many they built. They built a handful of these for the Army Air Corps. It, it did not have folding wings. It did not have an arresting hook. It didn't have carrier gear. Um, and they ended up, the Air Corps decided, uh, or the you know, Army Air Force decided that they weren't going to get into dive bombing. And they turned them all over to the Marine Corps. The Marines just used them for training. They never saw combat. So they have this airplane, and it's in a billion pieces. They started reskinning the fuselage. Um, they were offering it. And so we actually flew, my uh, head of restoration and I, we flew out to Wright Pat, which was a really lame excuse to spend the day at the museum out there. <laughs> uh, plus my son lives out there uh, and my only granddaughter. Uh, but um, we went out there and looked at it and it just was too much work for us. It was just, it was just too much. And not only that, it's an A24. It's not a, it wasn't an SB2C. It didn't have any kind of provenance with, with the Navy. So uh, we, we kind of turned it down. But the, the, they're out there. There's a few projects out there. There's some that uh, I know have been recovered out of woods and have now disappeared in, in, into somebody's hangar. Uh, so maybe more will come out flyable soon, or maybe somebody will rebuild one for static display and say, hey, I want to donate this to Intrepid. That would be great. I'd even take a non-flying Corsair at this point. I'd love to have that. Uh, one of the big scores I made uh, several years ago is we needed a Sky Raider. Uh, Sky Raiders flew from Intrepid essentially through the 50s and 60s, and uh, we didn't have one. And my friend Ben Christie down at the Marine Corps, he's no longer with the Marine Corps Museum. He was a curator down there. Uh, he says, hey, I got one. It's at Naval Air Station Oceana. It's one of the prototype Sky Raiders. One of the, it was built in 45. Uh, they built 20 of them. Uh, I forget which one this was, but it was one of the proto. It's probably the oldest Sky Raider in the world in one piece. 
And uh, I was getting banged. I was sitting outside in a field in, uh, in Oceana out on their parade re- ground there where they have all these static airplanes. But, it was, you know, the lawnmower guy knocked into it several times and it needed some love. And uh, we, we disassembled it, brought it up to Intrepid. And, uh, you know, I really wanted one to represent the intro. We talked about markings a little earlier and I got stories about every single airplane, but this one was, was hard for me because I really wanted to paint it up like, uh, and represent an airplane that flew from Intrepid during Vietnam. And I just couldn't do it because it's one of the prototypes. So if you come out and see our Sky Raider, it is actually painted to look like a prototype from uh, the way it looked in 1945, 46. So, uh, that's, cool. that's the way we did it, but that, that, I think it was the only right way to do it. Um, I'm still a little torn. I would love to have a sky Raider, uh, the proper model sky Raider painted up, uh, VA 176, Tom Patton, who shot down a, a MiG 17 while flying from intrepid, right. That only happened twice during the Vietnam war where this old, a reciprocating engine airplane made for ground attack shot down a modern jet <laughs> and yeah. Tom Patton did it from intrepid. I got to interview Tom Patton is, uh, we didn't get to do a full blown oral history. Uh, we did a short interview with him cause he was just visiting. Uh, we, we had planned to do a major, uh, oral history with him, but, uh, he was killing a car accident, uh-huh. uh, shortly after we, we met him, uh, great loss, great loss. But his son, uh, uh, really honors his father's history and um, actually is financially able uh, to make some donations to us and uh, help with the restoration of that airplane. So uh, we are, we're actually able to put a small bomb load on it with uh, 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 replica uh, armaments uh, uh, that uh, Tom Patton's son helped us pay for. So great guy. That's really cool that he's helping preserve the, you know, his family's legacy. That's, that's absolutely, fantastic. absolutely. I mean, you run into families that, uh, yeah, my dad flew in this, you know, oh yeah. What, you know, where, oh, I don't remember. I don't know what unit he was in. I don't, and they just don't have the family history. They didn't have an interest in the actual details of the history. I was like, oh, my dad flew in a plane like this and, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Cause I got all my dad's Navy stuff and it's going to go to my son and it's going to go to my granddaughter eventually. But, um, yeah, but then you you run into families that uh, eh, family history just doesn't doesn't stick with them, and it's a little heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It, uh, it's great to see what you're doing out there, the Intrepid, to preserve that history, though. Um, I I know we're fighting the clock here on our side. We just want to say thank you for coming on. For anybody that's interested in uh, checking out more of uh, the Intrepid story or planning a visit, uh, what's the site they should go to? Intrepid Museum one word dot org well thank you so much thanks for all that you do to preserve aviation history and naval aviation history out there and uh well i'm looking forward to coming seeing you guys i have my one and only grandchild she just turned three she's in dayton ohio and i plan to bring her up to oshkosh one of these days because the day after she was born i ordered a pedal playing kit and i put it together and she has a beautiful little cream and red uh taylor craft pedal plane Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, and uh, we definitely want to come to Oshkosh with that. It, it, she just uh, shouldn't have the coordination to pedal it yet, but we're getting there. Oh, that's awesome. We'll we'll keep an eye out for you. You let us know when you're coming. We'll roll out the red carpet. We'd love to see you up here. 
<laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for uh, for listening to all those who who do tune in and, and download the, and listen to wherever the, uh, you get your podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Keep the the positive reviews coming. Let us know uh, uh, not only uh, what you like, but let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast. We'd love to reach out and get some ideas of uh, maybe some some guests that you'd be interested in hearing. Uh, I just want to thank the whole team here uh for for joining me thanks for for connor for coming on and uh taking a larger role recently in the green dot and uh thanks for my team scott uh, as well and the rest of you guys thank you for for being here thanks for listening we look forward to catching you the next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot <laughs>